Hey friend, welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is Arlene Pelicane. Arlene is the author of Parents Rising, and she's on the show today sharing wisdom on how to parent with intention. She says, there's no better time than now. Let's not waste our moments with these incredible gifts who are our children. So I cannot wait for you to tune in to today's episode. Thanks so much for joining us. Hello, Arlene. Thank you so much for being my guest today on the Love Offering Podcast. It's so nice to be with you today. Thanks for having me. You are an author, speaker, popular media personality, blogger, wife, and mother of three. And I am also a mom. And all the mothers listening know as parents, we can sometimes feel like we are fighting a losing battle. Parenting can be hard. (laughs) So how can we begin to claim victory in this area? And a lot of it, I think, Rachel, is like having a realistic mindset, like looking at the landscape and saying, okay, this is hard. You know, I have a sophomore son uh, who's in high school. Obviously, he's in high school. He's a sophomore. And see, that's how hard parenting is. You can't barely (laughs) get your facts straight. And we, and we can talk about this later, but for instance, he doesn't have a phone. He doesn't play video games. So there's many things that he doesn't do as a sophomore, but he has access to YouTube, right? So he looks at things to learn things. He plays a piano. He's got a piano channel on there where he plays the piano. Like, it's really cool. But there is a lot of junk on YouTube for boys and girls. And that's just one example of how parenting is very difficult in this day and age. And so I think that being realistic of the times you live in, but then being really hopeful and having that mindset of, you know what, if God carried the children of Israel through all these pagan countries, you know, and if Daniel could stand as a teenager in the land of Babylon and be like, okay, if you don't bow to this idol, you're going to get thrown in the fire, you know, his friends. So if they could stand in that culture, we can also. So I think a lot of it comes with reframing. And instead of being like a defensive posture all the time to say, okay, wait a minute, how can we go on the offensive? How can we know that our God is with us? Our God is greater. I am the parent, you might be two years old, but I am going to win today, you know, so it it comes with that kind of mindset. Yeah, I love the hope in that. So, so why is intentional parenting so critical? You think about it, like if you host a, a dinner party, for instance, you, what do you do? You like have a menu, you kind of clean your house, hopefully, you know, you set the table, like there's things that you do, you are very intentional about that. Because if your dinner party happened, and you were not intentional, they'd come over and you'd be like, Oh, what should we make today? <laughs> you know, like, we, <laughs> yeah. like We would never do that, right? No. And yeah. yet, when we parent, we could be like, Oh, well, let's just see what happens. And believe me, parenting is a lot more important than hosting an amazing dinner party. So what does this mean? Don't be overwhelmed by this, but this means like, okay, think about it. Like, what are the values that are important to you that you want to pass along to your children? Okay. So let's say it's being a servant. So, okay, then we're going to plan. We're going to be intentional. How are we going to teach our children to serve? Okay. We're going to go to a nursing home once a month, or we're going to tutor a little kid next door who doesn't know how to read, or we're going to serve on the church greeting team, you know, whatever it is, that's intentional parenting. It's thinking about 
What are the values I want to pass on to my kids? And then how can I make those things happen? It's thinking, okay, my kid's in kindergarten and he can't tie his shoes. So let's be intentional. And this next week, we're going to learn how to tie shoes. So it's kind of thinking about what's the next skill my child needs to learn and doing that skill with them. That's being intentional. Mm, so much to think about. I feel like we could just park right there, but we will yes. <laughs> So, <laughs> So for the most part, our grandmothers had more children and faced greater challenges like trying to do their laundry without a washer yeah. and dryer. <laughs> Yet they didn't seem as stressed out about parenting as we are today. So what do you think we can learn from mm-hmm. our grandmas and grandpas? Yeah, I love John Rosemond. He is a psychologist, Christian psychologist, and he talks about the grandmother of yesteryear would have just said, pick up your clothes. And the kid would have been like picking up the clothes. But Mm. today we overcomplicate it. So I think that's what we've done is our grandparents, they expected, hey, child that I love, please go do this. And the child did that. And if the child didn't do it, the child was like, oh, look, I went hungry tonight. I guess I (laughs) I guess I shouldn't do that anymore. And all of a sudden the child behaves. But today we overanalyze. We don't want to hurt our children's feelings. We want them to go their own way and find their own way. And this is all faulty. So it's this idea of instead of saying to your child, pick up your clothes, we're like, you know, it'd be such a great idea if you picked up your clothes, because when I walk in the room and I step on your clothes, that's not nice for mommy. And I paid good money for those clothes and you don't want to get them all dirty. You want them to last longer, don't you think? So let's pick up our clothes, okay? And your child is just like, whatever. Yeah. So we talk too much and we have very few consequences and we say all these things, but we don't really mean them. And I think that makes parenting harder for us than it did for our grandparents. So go ahead. And if you have a living grandparent, take them out or talk to them on the phone and ask them like, I need some parenting help and open yourself up to that because they actually, I think, have a lot to teach us. Oh, oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And you're, you are stepping on my toes, but I am, I'm open to it. I'm open to it. Good girl. So so the first strategy that you explore is that amusement is not the highest priority. Yeah. So I think that this is pretty counter to what is often taught in our culture where kids are entertained at every Mm. turn. And again, I'm guilty of this. So why is this so dangerous? Oh my goodness. So the book is parents rising and it's eight strategies to raise your kids. And that first strategy, amusement, is so important because today we live in an age of amusement, both for the parent and for the child. So it used to be, let's say, oh, let's watch one TV program that's on once a week for half an hour, right? And you'd wait till like that particular night and you'd watch your show and then the show would end and you'd be done. Well, today it's not like that. It's like, oh, look, at any given moment of the day, You can choose one out of hundreds of options, and then you can watch them back to back to back to back. And then we as parents, we get used to this because it's like, oh, it keeps our kids quiet. We know they're safe. They're like right in your little living room or right in the backseat of your car. You know exactly where they are. They're quiet. They're not asking you a million questions because they're watching their quote unquote educational program. So the parents are like, okay. And then the children get used to it. And so what happens? Why is this dangerous? It's dangerous for so many reasons, but maybe not the ones we think of. Uh, Sometimes we think as long as the content is okay, 
then it's okay for our kids. But here's the thing is nothing's going to teach language to a child, like learning how to read, how to speak, how to have empathy, how to understand people as they talk. Nothing's going to teach that as well as face-to-face -face human interaction. So you can have the best app, you can have the best entertainment with all these letters on the screen. That's not going to even compare. They've done so many studies to a human being listening to you, talking to you, giving you verbal cues, stopping. So then, you know, oh, it's my turn to talk now, you know, all that. So we're missing. So these kids are missing all these milestones and then they get into school and then no wonder they're like, oh, look, your child has problem with attention. Oh, look, your child has trouble reading. Oh, look, you're, you know, and it all stems from the constant amusement, not having to practice skills. And then guess what? life is so boring all the time because what can compete with being amused all the time so your greatest job as a parent is not to be the cruise director it's not like oh look my child's having fun all the time no your job as a parent is to raise a good competent godly human being as to the best of your ability and that's about character and character is not forged watching netflix <laughs> that's not where character is forged so as parents, we've got to realign and say, wait a minute, we've got to realize what is this Pandora's box that we've opened up? Mm, okay. So you've sort of explained why technology or how technology yeah. is impacting our children. But so what can we do as parents to improve the use of technology in our home? Yeah. I mean, your, your answer, like you said yeah. in the beginning, it's not to not have it, right. but, but what do we do? So one thing is to go online always with purpose. So when you have technology, don't just get the video game because everyone else has a video game. Don't get the phone because all the other fifth graders have the phone. Don't do that. So you have to be able to answer the question like, why do we need this technology? Like, why do we need this new streaming service? Why do we need, you know, so you're asking these questions and then you're putting that against, is technology going to bring my family closer together? Or is it going to tear it further apart? So you're asking these questions. So if we get this video game, is this going to enhance our family time? And most people will be like, they're not saying like, oh, ever since I introduced video games to my children, it's so peaceful and we have so much fun together and we never argue. You know, people don't say that. People say like, oh, my word, why did we give him this? Because now it's like World War II, three, every time we have to get him off. So you have to ask these questions before you get the technology. So one way to improve the use of technology use is to really question it. Question like, why do we need that? And then delay it as much as possible. Because we as parents, we're just accepting the norm. But the norm is not working. You know, the norm is depression is up on teenagers. Suicide is up with teenagers. Boys are addicted to video games. They're skipping co their college classes. They're flunking out of school. That's the norm. So you as a parent, if you've got an elementary school kid, you've got to go like, whoa, wait a minute. I don't want that for my kid. I've got to think about this. And if you have older kids, one easy way to improve technology is go, okay, you know what? We're going to collect all phones, all devices at night. So that way your child can get a good night's sleep. And believe me, they're not texting about Bible study at three o'clock in the morning, right? <laughs> so, and then you have to be ready to be yeah. the bad guy. You know, your high school student's not going to be like, oh, great. You listen to the podcast and now you're collecting my phone. You're really stepping up. Way to go. You know, you're going to feel like you are the meanest parent I have ever, you know, there's no other parent on the planet who does this. You're trying to ruin my life. And in that moment, you have to realize, okay, I'm a parent. I'm going to rise up. And that's what we're going to do to improve technology at home.
Yeah. Well, you know, you also talked about just how important boundaries and routines are for our child's development. So would you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Let's just land on sleep for a second because I don't know. I love to sleep. So no one ever had to tell me to go to sleep. I'm like, please just let me take a nap and let me get under the cover and let me go to sleep. So, you know, so that's easy, but a lot of kids today, they're not sleeping, you know, so I will get texts from my, so my kids don't have personal phones. My middle schooler and my high schooler do not have personal phones, but they use my phone. So I'll get these texts throughout the night. And I'm just thinking like, why is this eighth grader not asleep right now? (laughs) What are you doing? So one fabulous boundary is just, you know what? Sleep is really important for a developing child. And it's super important for them to get nine hours of sleep, 10 hours of sleep, eight hours of sleep, something. So one wonderful boundary is get those devices out of the bedroom and and start, you know, like nine o'clock, eight o'clock, seven o'clock in the evening, paring that down so that they're not the last thing they're not doing is playing the super high adrenaline video game. And then you're like, shut it off. It's time for bed. And then they shut it off. And of course, they can't go to bed because now they're just thinking about like, what are they going to do tomorrow to do better? You know, so start really planning that bedtime routine. That's an excellent routine to start putting in. And then that boundary, again, I just want to challenge you that it is okay to delay. Just keep that in your mind. It is okay to delay. It's okay to delay because parents freak out. They are like, oh, my goodness, all the other kids have this or my, I want my kid to be safe. What if there's like a school shooting and they can't reach me? So they'll think this. So they'll give the sixth grader here, have a phone so you can reach me. But you have to realize that that boundary of not having a phone will protect your kids because let's say, sure, they can call you in an emergency, but they can also look up pornography. They can get texts from some very strange people. They can waste a lot of time in class instead of paying attention. You know, there's a lot of risks that go there. So I just encourage people to lay down that boundary of no phones during elementary school. And if you need to communicate to your child, then get a dumb phone that's not online, but you know, just can text five people or whatever, that's okay. And um, have that boundary. And then I really even encourage that boundary in middle school because in middle school, kids are really discovering who they are and they're testing their identity. And that is a, that's better done, not against the backdrop of social media. So that's just an encouragement I give you. Well, so I'm interested to hear what your own kids think of this. Yes. You know, like, are they the only ones? There are very few. So like my son, the sophomore, there's like one other kid at school probably that he knows and one kid at church that he knows, but there are very few. And he'll say like, you know, I think I could handle a phone, you know, like he'd be like, okay to have a phone, but he doesn't ask us for one and he understands why we don't have one he has a google voice account so what happens is on his computer at home like it's a family shared computer like he can check his text messages he can text people from it things like that and then if he needs something in real time he borrows a friend's phone and then he'll text me like mom i'm my practice was early or whatever but i to be honest with you i think it's he'll admit that it's been better for him than worse because he has so much independence because instead of like relying, oh, let me ask my mom, what am I supposed to do? He's like, oh, I got to figure this out on myself. Like I'm on my own. He bikes to and from school by himself. He's very independent. So I think that has been a real gift for him. And I, and I think he would recognize that. My eighth grader is really funny. She says to me, because I asked her, well, what do you think, Noelle, about parents, like how they monitor everything their kids do? You know, we can read all your texts. We can look at your social media just to make sure you're doing okay. Like, what do you think about that? And she's like, I think parents 
shouldn't because parents can't watch everything anyway and she said I think parents shouldn't give a device or social media until they can trust that their child will handle it well wow so she she's like never asked me she's more like and she's really funny like she's a great kid she's well liked she's super cool you know what I mean like she's not like this dowdy like dorky kid and she'll be like but she also has my husband's free spirit, which says, you can't make me be like you, you know? So she, she has that going for her. She like owns it. Yeah. So she's just like, yeah, I'm glad I don't have all that stuff. Cause I think it's a waste of time. I think it's dumb. And, and, you know, she'll get like 62 texts on my phone in like five minutes of a thread and she'll yeah. just be like, yeah, whatever. Like she doesn't, she doesn't care. And she'll look through it in two seconds and she's like, okay, caught up, you know? So it's very funny. So for us, it's something they've grown up with they've always known as little kids like you will not have a cell phone you will not have social media we will not play video games but we'll rollerblade we'll ski we'll get a pool table we'll do martial arts we'll bike we'll go to the library all the time we'll get into star wars we'll get into marvel like we'll do other things as they get older and it's been a lot of fun I'm glad you touched on that like what are the other things because I think for me as a parent I'm like okay we are so dependent on this. Right. So what else are we going to do with our time? Totally. And um, as you're talking to, I'm thinking about me. I mean, just confession. Totally. Even just this weekend, my daughter said, mom, I just feel like you're always on your phone. Right. And so I can, I can use this ex- excuse of, you know, I'm having to care for you. I'm wanting to do work. I need to do work. Yeah. But yet she's all she's seeing is me on my phone and not paying attention mm-hmm. to her. And so when you're talking about these boundaries, I need the boundaries for totally. myself. It's so true. You know, they did this survey of 6,000 kids all around the world and they asked, what's your parents' worst habit? And this is not to make you sad, Rachel, but, like, no, but more, more than half of them said, my parent is on their phone when I want to talk to them, you know? And so mm-hmm. it is this idea of realizing for us, the boundary of, I will work during this time and I will be like uber productive and I won't waste my time. But once those kids walk in from preschool, once those kids walk in from school, like for one hour, I'm all there. Like I might, they might like for your teenagers, for instance, they might not be talking to you, but you're in the kitchen and you're puttering around and you're not on a device. And that teenager knows if I need to talk to my mom, I could, you know, and I think that's so important. Just having that boundary of even the one hour between them coming home that you just say, okay, that's, I'm not going to check email. I'm not going to do stuff on my phone. I'm not checking social media. I'm not being productive in that way. And I'm going to be really purposeful to give that time to my children. I think that will do a world of good. Yeah. Well, sort of on that topic about spending time as a family, you spend a whole chapter focused on the dinner table, you know, which includes serving your children healthy food. So what is this dinner table serve as like a reflection yeah. of why is that so important it's true because if you just think of it so think for uh, all of us listeners you know how many dinner meals or it could be breakfast or lunch but how many meals is every single member of the family present and it's not rushed okay yes. so just think during a week how many times does it happen and if it's like oh my word that never happens then it's kind of this reflection of we are too hurried. Like there is too much going on that we can't think back in a week and think, when did we spend a meal all together? And we weren't rushed. I'm not saying you're there for two hours, but I'm saying you're there for 25 minutes. You're eating, you're talking, you're laughing, you know, all those kinds of things. So that dinner table reflects like how calm is the home, you know, the priorities of the home. And then what 
is the what's the dinner like if it's like oh the tv's on in the background people pick up their phones then you realize okay wait a minute this is not the quality meal we're talking about so we're talking about and no one's on their phone including mom and dad the tv is not on in the background we have music on on the background so we'll have music on in the background but it's you know it's soft and so and that's you think about that and the more you have that happen the healthier the relationships in your family are going to be because your kids have a sense of belonging. My husband is a fabulous storyteller and he remembers everything in technicolor detail. Unlike me, I have to write it down. And that's why I write books. They're basically my personal (laughs) journals. And so for James, he'll tell us this funny story from second grade and see kids. There was this wall street journal article that talked about how kids get their sense of belonging from their parents' stories. And where do they hear those stories? A lot of times they hear them around the dinner table in the car rides or at bedtime. But what do we do at the dinner table, car rides and bedtime? We're on, we're like on stuff. We're watching DVDs or watching Netflix. You know know what I mean? So we're losing that time. So we've got to really guard that dinner table and make it a time of fun. Not of, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do that? Not of arguing, no, but a fun and bring that back. Yeah, that is a good challenge. So you also spend a chapter on the importance of keeping our marriage ahead of our kids. Yeah, I think this is hard to do too. So how how do we how do we keep our marriage on track and a priority while we're raising our kids? We have got to think it and do it. And by that, I mean, you have to realize, okay, this is how God designed it for a man and woman to be together and to be one. It's like love glue. And then God designed us to have children. But then the children leave their mother and father to cleave to somebody else. So you have to realize like, oh, my goodness, my priority glue relationship is with my spouse. It's but what do we do in action? We glue to our children. (laughs) It's like to our spouse. We're like, okay, you're on your own, babe. But to the child, you're like, oh, you need this. Oh, I'll get that for you. You need cupcakes for tomorrow's. I'll, I'll make those for you or I'll buy those. Oh, you've got to have this crazy soccer schedule. I will drive you like to the next state and beyond, you know, we go crazy for our kids. And so to realize first in our mind, wait a minute, my spouse is going to be with me forever in this life, but my kids they're going to, if they're healthy, they, they will actually leave you in their twenties. They're going to go. You know, so you have to realize that. And then what do your actions show? Like, do you invest in keeping a close relationship with your spouse? And guess what? That's not only good for you and your spouse. That's good for your kids to see, wow, that's what marriage looks like. So what does, what does this look like? It might look like a yearly vacation where just you and your spouse take three days, maybe even a week, and you go off by yourselves. It is a maybe twice a year, 24 hour time where you just go downtown of your city or you go one hour away of wherever you live to some place. And it's just the two of you for 24 hours, because guess what? This in the calendar communicates you are important to me and the kids will survive. And for the kids, they see, oh, look, my parents, they still date and they go on the mini honeymoons. Like, that's really nice for kids to see. It's when your spouse comes home from work. Um, You know, some people, I I don't do this. So I will admit, we don't do this. Um, Both my husband and I work from home. So we're like, we see each other plenty. But (laughs) many spouses, when the spouse comes home, they'll sit on the couch for five minutes, for 10 minutes. How was your day, honey? They'll have a cup of water together and talk. And they'll tell the kids, no, no, this is mommy, daddy time. That's fine. Because that communicates to the kids like, hey, you know what? Mommy and daddy have to catch up a little bit. 
and then let us, when then we'll take care of you guys, just give us five minutes. That's really nice because that shows the priority of the husband and wife. Okay. So if the woman listening like me, yeah. honestly, I mean, we're sort of feeling like, um, we may be failing in a lot of these areas. Like we're not super strong, but you know, we, we want, we want, what yes. obviously. So, and you say it's not too late to implement some of these changes. Yes. So, yeah. yeah so talk a little bit to us about that. Like, what do we do to fight this feeling yeah. that we're failing? And you know what? Do not, don't, like fight that. Oh, I need to do, cause sometimes we just get stuck in, Oh, I wish I were doing better. And we just get stuck there. And yeah. so please just don't do that. And instead go, you know what, these feelings of guilt, they're informing me. They're like a blessing to me. They're showing me like, Hey, this is an area that I need to pay attention to. And if I'll pay attention to it, it's going to pay off these huge, great dividends in my family. And then instead of tackling like 10 things we talked about today, then just think of one thing. So maybe during our conversation, you thought, okay, I've got to take those phones out of the room. Okay, that's just your one thing that I want you to do. Maybe it's okay, we've got to get dinner three times a week. Let's just figure that out. Great. All right, my husband and I, we haven't been on a date for six months. We better put something in the calendar. <laughs> Fabulous. Right. So just pick one thing do that, get that down. And then once you're like, okay, good. We're on the monthly dating schedule again. This is great. Then tackle your next thing. Because when you have that sense of momentum, like I'm winning, like I did that. I changed it. God helped me. And I changed that. That's great. Then it gives you this momentum of like, let's tackle the next thing. Because now, you know, I've got that phone collection thing going and now the kids are not screaming for one hour. Now they're only screaming for five minutes, you know, great. So this is fabulous. And then you move on to the next thing. So, and then again, rely on the Holy spirit. Like you don't have to do this alone. Ask God, God, please empower me to do this. And God will help you to do it. Well, so because of your conviction and passion for parenting, I'm, I'm really interested about hearing about your childhood. Yeah. Like, like, did you grow up in this way? What, what characteristics did your parents instill in you and also your husband? Cause you guys are unified in this front. Sounds Yeah. Like. We had very different upbringings, both. Um, so I'm an only child. So I was the pampered child. I was mm -hmm. the, like, my parents had a very strong marriage. So I never thought like, you know, they did stuff together. So that's good. But whatever I wanted, I got, you know? And so now my husband, who's the youngest of four, it's just like, oh man, I can't believe like the first time I did laundry was in college, you know, <laughs> and my husband <laughs> was doing laundry in first grade, you know, so yeah. we have this very, in that sense, very different, but um, his parents became Christians like when he was in high school so much later, but they did, they did have that. So we both came uh, from that faith background uh, for the most part. And so for me, my parents, they were very happy. Like my mom is really like her disposition is like, oh, it's like she just is like really happy all the time. So yeah. I came from a very happy, loving, stable home where I understood what was happening. I was nurtured in love. And so, yes, I know that made a big difference in my life. And that's the kind of home I want to give to my children. And I know that a lot of listeners are like, well, that's really nice. That makes sense. You can do this because you were taught that all your life. You know, I'm 48 years old. I had a lot of years to learn that. But I'm maybe you're a listener and you're like, I'm 25 and I saw nothing, you know, so how am I supposed to do that? And I just give you this hope of I know so many people who grew up in like awful with terrible parents 
but they made a commitment in their twenties. Like I'm going to learn how to do this. Um, one couple that comes to mind are Bill and Pam Farrell. They're also authors and they made this commitment that when they were at church, they'd always look for older couples that were happy and then they'd sit right next to them in church mm-hmm. and then always try to get to know them and be like, hey, can we go to lunch? And then find out. So just commit to learning what does a healthy home look like? And let me study that in people that I know. And, and it can be like people like in your church or at your work, in your community that you can take out to coffee in books that I can read and podcasts that I can listen and just kind of get obsessed with getting healthy. And like, I want to know what does a loving home look like? And let me make that my offering that my, I didn't have it, but my children will have it. And, and you can produce that. You can do that for your kids. Yeah. Well, I love at the very beginning of the episode, you were talking about being a Daniel, you know, in this, in this world. And because it is so hard, it feels like nobody else is doing this, you know, and we're like the only ones, but the reality is we, we aren't the only ones. And then once one person starts it, it will get easier. You know, that people will hopefully start to, it'll start to shift. Do you think? Totally. And see, even just you and I talking together. See, you've said these things and there's some mom that's like, Oh, my, my child just told me this weekend that I'm on my phone too much, you know? And all of a sudden you realize I'm not by myself. And that's one thing I love to give to parents because those who delay the technology feel like they're the only ones, but then they're like, Oh, look, great. You have a high schooler who doesn't play video games. Wow. You know? And then all of a sudden they feel like I'm not the only one. And so please feel like, you're not the only one, whether it's on the, you're too permissive side or you're too strict side, you know, wherever you are in that spectrum, you are not alone. And it is our job to mutually encourage each other to be like, okay, how can I get closer to being the best parent that I can be the best wife I can be? And how can we help each other to get there? Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal. Well, so Arlene, this season, I'm asking my guests who has loved them well. So who first comes to mind for you and then would you share how they loved you? Well? Yeah, I'm going to, it's my husband. We've been married for over 20 years. And so here's the thing. If I, if he gives me a book, like about sex, like how to be a better lover or how to enjoy love picking more, I'm like, oh, I'm rolling my eyes. Like what kind of gift is this? But if I give him a gift, how to understand your wife and be more conversational, how to listen, like he will sincerely be like, honey, thank you so much. Like he's honestly (laughs) grateful. Like I want to understand you more. So that's one way that he loves me really well. And then um, another person though, that comes to mind is in college. When I graduated from college, I had a favorite professor. Her name was um, Dr. Marianne Lind. And she was a single woman. And when I finished college, I ended up working, it was at Biola University and I worked in the admissions office. And so I rented a room in her house. And so that was like my first kind of non-college dorm experience, right? It's renting a room for my favorite professor's house. And I remember waking up in the morning and she would be sitting in her chair, reading her Bible and praying. And then she would talk to me and I'll, and I am telling you just that bridge now that I have teenagers, you know, thinking that there would be someone for my child to be that bridge between like being a student and being an adult and then showing that model of like passion for Jesus. And she was a missionary and retired, you know, and all these things is, was just so special. So I'm so grateful that she taught me 
Like, this is how you are passionate about Jesus. This is how you commune with him. Um, and I'm not saying I learned that lesson well, because I'm still not sitting in a chair talking to Jesus, <laughs> but I do talk to him. But, yeah. but that was such a good way for me to, to learn. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah. What great examples. Well, so a follow-up question specifically for you. What, what is your number one tip to loving our children well? I think one, my tip for loving children is like get into what they're into. So if they like something, be like, wow, that's so great and get interested in it. So sometimes that's easy. Like my one daughter, my youngest, she loves musicals and she's going to be Mufasa in The Lion King at school. So that's really easy for me to get into. Like, oh, let's watch musicals and let's get into that. Let's go to Disneyland. That's super easy. Um, my one daughter, she loves Star Wars. That's also actually pretty easy for me. Uh, but then I become more interested, right, than I normally would. So now I'm actually reading books. Like I'm actually reading Star Wars novels. And then we like, mm. she'll suggest to me, oh, mama, I really think you like this one. And she's right. Like I will read it and I will really like it. But on my own, would I be reading Star Wars novels? No, I'd be reading like How to Become a Better Podcaster. So actually, this is this is better than Star Wars <laughs> novels. And then my son, like he loves um, modifying Nerf guns. So he'll take a Nerf gun and he'll take it all apart and he'll make it like ultra powerful and all this. And so it's a, wow, that's amazing. Let me shoot it. And wow, let's have a Nerf gun war and let me put on full armor because your Nerf darts really hurt, you know? (laughs) So it's just getting into what your kids are into and finding those bridges. So when they grow up, they have these memories of doing stuff they like with their parents. Um, I remember talking to my high school friend and and I, I didn't realize it. And she said to me now as adults, like, I never really did anything with my mom. And I was like, what? You know, like thinking about it, cause you know, your high school friends and you think like, oh, our moms always did. And then to realize, oh, wow. Like, she's like, we didn't really have that much in common. And to realize, you know what? I want my kids when they grow up to be like, I made all these memories with my mom and I have these things in common. My, my husband loves to mountain bike with the kids. And one of the reasons he does it is he was told, you know what, when your kids come back home as adults, they'll come home and they'll mountain bike with you and it'll give you something to do together. And just having those things together, whether it's knitting or playing chess or going to a movie, you know, it doesn't, you know, it could be anything, but having those things in common and spending time without your phone, doing those things, I think that's a great way to love our children well. Uh, what a great tip. It actually brought tears to my eyes thinking about that. That's what I want my children to say. Yeah. Day too. So good. Uh, gosh, today's episode has been super, super uh, insightful for me. And I'm sure it has been for the listeners as well. So how can we best keep in contact with you? I have a website called just my name, ArlenePelicane.com. And on there, you can take all sorts of quizzes. Like, do you have a happy husband? Are your kids addicted to their technology? So that's under quizzes. And then I also have um, a free video course about technology and your girl for those of you who have daughters. And you can also access that on the website. Uh, So good. Arlene, thank you so much for being my guest and for encouraging us as parents to rise. Because as you say, there is no better time than now. And let's not waste our moments. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Arlene Pellicane. 
you all, I don't know about you, but I was super challenged by what Arlene shared today. I think we would all agree that parenting is very hard, and but we want to do this well. And so what is the one thing that Arlene shared today that you feel like you can improve as far as your relationship with your children and leading them in the right direction? And so just tackle that one thing. And it's such a good reminder, too, that we are here for one another and that also the Holy Spirit will help us to be the best mother and the best wife that we can be. If you're interested in today's show notes, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram or on Facebook, and you can also get them sent directly to your inbox by going to rachelkadams.com to get your weekly love offering. Well, if this podcast has been an, an encouragement or an inspiration to you, I would be honored if you would take the time to subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform just to ensure that other women can find the love offering and be encouraged and inspired by it as well. Next week, my guest is Emily P. Freeman. Emily is the author of The Next Right Thing. She talks about decision fatigue, that we make 35,000 decisions every day. So, uh, and I believe it. I absolutely believe it. And so how do we make these these decisions, she says, by simply doing the next right thing. Emily is also the co-founder of Hope Writers, which is a writer's community that I am involved in and really love. And so if you are a writer, you're not going to want to miss all of her tricks and trades and just her story from where she started and where she is now. So I can't wait till you tune in again next week. Thank you for tuning in this week. And until we meet again, remember to always lead with love.